It is my pleasure to introduce to you this morning Rene and Krista Erich. Do I get it right? He says you can just call him Rene. Um, and so I just introduced him. I got a couple of questions. So wait, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? All right. Um, good morning. <laughs> we're, um, we're Dutch. And um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's good to hear there are some uh, people around. And uh, we moved here in, at least I, I started in September as the principal of Whitley College. And uh, new job, new challenge, uh, great move, big move, lots of new cultural challenges and trying to understand uh, myself a bit better in a different context. So it's, it feels like reinventing yourself, I can, I can, I can tell you that. And uh, so after a long search process and prayer and well, you can imagine with having four kids together, it's a lot of, it involves a lot of thinking and praying and talking with friends and, and family and all that to see how we went. And in the end, it, it turned out to be really good. And um, so we moved here, sold our house, uh, burned all the ships behind us. Not all, I mean. <laughs> and um, yeah, here we are. And I started in September. Krista came in early November. Uh, we live in Templestowe. Um, enjoy all the beauties of nature here, but also enjoy all the different differences in churches. So move around a bit and try to figure out where we want to be um, and join uh, in this beautiful family of God. And it's really a challenge because there are too many nice churches, really. <laughs> so this is one of them and uh, happy to be here. So we have four kids. You want to say something about that? Oh, I, I don't I, I like can, to speak it. in front of you, but we have four kids. Uh, our oldest is a boy, he's 28, and then three girls, 26, 24, and 17, almost 18. And they are all living in the Netherlands, and we are here. That's the hard part of this um, adventure, actually. Yeah. And uh, very often it's about me, so I'm a... I'm a uh, ordained Baptist minister. Uh, we worked in churches, and now I'm in. I had to, at some point to choose between the church and education, and uh, it's really hard. I can tell you that, and I still feel, and that's why I need to preach every Sunday almost because I can't let the church go. And this is really about uh, what is at the heart of my call in terms of uh, equipping, training people, uh, and that's that's of course also related to the church. It's not just just the church. We have people in chaplaincy and. There are people in aged care and people in prisons and, jail and, and you know, and, and, uh, all, all kind of schools, and that's fine, but it's very important to, to train people, so that's at the heart of it. And Krista is an aged care consultant, and she's trying to find a job. So uh, if you have some opportunities... Uh... <laughs> Keep an eye out. So um, you mentioned your, your love for the church, and also, though, your history as a, an educator and in yep. research. So what's your kind of special area of interest... Um, one of the main things is really about my interest, and that started early on in my as a student um, in theology. I found out that there are there is quite a relationship between who we are, our life stories, and the way we interact with God, and God interacts with us. So, life stories and narrative, in a more kind of technical sense, uh, has followed, has chased, has been chasing me all the time. So, I did a, a study on um, on the relationship between peoples own faith stories and the way they connect to church. That was my PhD um, project. But then I kept moving on with that. Also, uh, the relationship between 
our life stories and our vocation. So where do we work? Why do we do the things we do? And how does that relate to uh, yeah, who we are? And, and uh, that's challenging and that, yeah. that keeps me going. It's very inspiring as uh, I've learned. Yeah. Great. Well, we're very excited to sit under your teaching this morning from the word. And um, I'll just go ahead and pray for you Thank if that's you. all right. And we'll get into it. But... Lord, thanks for the gifts of teaching and exposition, understanding and wisdom that you've given to Rene. Thank you also for his willingness to share them with us this morning. As he opens your word to us, would your spirit interpret and speak truth into um, whatever we need to hear from you and help us to receive that. Help us to understand ourselves and the stories that you've given us so that we can live more fully um, in relationship with you, in obedience to you, receiving your love and your care and sharing it with others. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Up a bit. Sorry, I'm a bit taller. All right. <clears throat> All right. Um, I would like to um, start reading uh, a passage. I'm a, is, is everybody okay in listening to me and hearing me? That, yeah? All good? Not too hard, loud, or whatever? When I speak too quick, just raise your hand, okay? Um, I would like to read um, a, a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, and basically that's from the um, 13th chapter, two parts, not the entire chapter, so if you want to read with me, and um, I would like to talk a bit with you this morning and also tonight about the, uh, the relationship between, um, let's say, suffering, and you could say innocent suffering, and the life and life with God. And that may not be, for many of us, not the most favorite topic. Um, but I've learned that really, it's really every now and then, it's good really to address this and to, to try to understand more, uh, and I explicitly say more, uh, the way God is looking at that. And it's, I'm, I'm, I need to be careful here, because whatever I will say this morning, uh, I trust God, um, and, but I'm sure that it's not the whole, the whole final truth about everything, all right? So don't pin me down on, on things that are that may be a bit experimental. Um, and since we are all on a journey of faith, I, I guess, I hope, uh, well, I'm quite sure about that actually, but um, talk to me later after the service when you, once you, when, you, when you go home and feel like, ah, I end up with more questions than I came in with. That's not really good. If you feel bad about it, come and see me, okay? And, and let's, let's have a chat. Now, that's the disclaimer at the, at the, at the front of the ser sermon. And now the text. Uh, Matthew 13, I start to read from verse 24, the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came, in, came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go out and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, 
you may uproot the wheat with them, the good things. So let both grow together until the harvest. And at a time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now the second part, we skip a bit in a bits of the, of the verse there, uh, from the same chapter, 30, verse 36, the parable on the weeds explained. And then he, Jesus, left the crowd and he went into the house. And his disciples came to see him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, apparently... You've been, you've been witnessing um, the news this week about the MH17. And uh, as a Dutch person, I'm uh, very related to what happened in July 2014. And um, actually talking about people dying on that flight after what all happened, uh, we, we quickly figured out that there were quite some people related to the ones that died in that, in that terrible uh, crash an explosion and all that. I was teaching in uh, Sydney in uh, February 2014 at Morling at, at a summer school, and I had two Ukrainian students in the group. And they were talking about their family in Kiev, and they would be soon going home to see their parents. And they went home, and uh, they had a great time. They sent me a little email and telling that they were fine. And, and now what happened, they had to go back to Sydney. So they traveled through Amsterdam, from Kiev to Amsterdam, and from Amsterdam they were flying to Kuala Lumpur, and Kuala Lumpur they would go to Sydney. Now, imagine these two guys I've been teaching, and they were not even relatives to me, they were on that plane. They went to Amsterdam, flew back, and above Ukraine, above their own home country, where they had just been visiting their parents, they died. I can't, I can't tell you how shocked I was to hear that, really. I, I found out only a few weeks later because they, are, they were Australians, but they were so much connected to actually my story. Now, why do I tell you this? For many people, this, this reality, this, this, this event is a reason no longer to believe in God. That's not so difficult to imagine. It's not so self-evident anymore for people to believe um, in, um, in God when these things happen. Now I need to... Oh, yeah, it's here. Okay. So, so is, there, is there something that you could call innocent suffering? 
So I've put it here into brackets simply because I, I'm not sure whether it's just about the only thing, you know, would be just about innocent suffering. There is some suffering that we cause and inflict upon ourselves, of course. But, but you can hardly tell that these two guys called upon this suffering and this death by themselves. There would be some people who could argue maybe they, they could be, feel so bad about it, say, well, it, it, is it related to what they did wrong? You know, it's a very dangerous, tricky question. Anyway, um, for many people, this type of, 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 of things are the end of everything. If God is almighty, if God is almighty, how can he allow innocent suffering of so many people. And you can figure out many more examples. I, I give you another one. In one of our, church, one of our churches uh, where we worked, a little, a little child drowned in the bath, a baby. So couldn't we ask the question whether God did not just pull the plug so the water could go out, so this little child didn't drown? Why didn't he do that? Why, why did this... This moral, almighty, powerful, sovereign, forgiving, reconciling, just God, not just pull the plug. It's inconceivable that, that he, as being almighty and loving, allows innocent people to die. A God who is morally good and just, he wouldn't do that. So that's the refrain. That's this constant kind of refrain coming up and up, up and again. If there is a moral just God, if there is a loving God, if there is a powerful God, why? Couldn't he? I mean, he's, he's revealing himself to, to Muslim people by, in dreams, right? We hear about stories about Muslim people uh, being Islamic, being having an encounter with Jesus in their dreams. Why couldn't, why couldn't God show himself, reveal himself to one of those guys who pushed a button to fire those missiles, taking down the MH17? Why? Whoever did it. Was it really impossible? Couldn't he have sent a, that's the least, kind of a, a group of crows, you know, black crows on, the, on one of those rockets, kind of getting it a bit out of the way. Is this a stupid question, you think? Come on, is it a stupid question? Oh, okay, thank you. I, was <laughs> I got a bit worried here. Uh, <laughs> now, and you know, uh, there might be some other examples. I don't know whether these are less innocent, but couldn't he just been influencing a bit more the American elections a few, a few, some time ago. I'll stop here, sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name, no. <laughs> but, you know, for quite, for quite, a, for quite a, a few people, this, 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 this typical thing, this, the conclusion is reached. If he is not doing these things, well, you know, the story is out. We, we close the building. We leave the church. Why... why why should we believe in, in a God like that? So others would say, well, you know, it's not about that. It's not that I do no longer believe in God, but I, I'm, I, I seriously miss him. Why wouldn't he just come down 
Why wouldn't he just come down from heaven, show his power for once and for good, smash all the evil out and, and, and put it all out and, and put the good things in it? And, and yeah, in the midst of darkness and evil of this world, it's a very, it's a very reasonable question. Why doesn't he descend from heaven and show his power? Now, I think we really are, we really are in good company with these questions. Because they have been around for ages. We're not, it's not new. Um, after the, the big tsunami hit Lisbon in, in, uh, in the Middle Ages, um, 1700, well, it was later in the Middle Ages, but after 1700 something, this, these questions have been on the table almost on a daily basis, you could say. We're, we're in good company. And, and the questions that are related to this, to this is they are really, they're really very, more and more very personal and also touching our own hearts and lives. Now, let me just share some answers to those questions with you. Um, here they are. So, it's not an old, it's not a new question. It's not a new question. And also the answers are not new to a certain extent. And before I'll get to the passage again from Matthew 13, I'll we need to... Need to ponder a bit more on this. So, so one of the first answers to this, to this big question about the God allowing evil, some would say, you know, just be aware that God might just not be powerful enough. That's a dangerous one, isn't it? God neither causes evil and suffering, nor punishes us by it or through it. It's simply the effect of chaos, you know, what the heck? It's just chaos. And fate. Evil, evil and suffering do just exist by fate and by accident. It's just an accidental power. And it's just chaos. And God can't simply control it all. He has enough on his bucket list to do. So don't you, don't you worry too much about that. He's, he's, just, he's just not able to manage it all. And he does not have enough power. So it's just sheer coincidence if something happens to you and me. Well, how would, you, how would you score this, this argument in a range between 1 and 10? Zero. Oh, gosh, that's really bad. <laughs> you know, there are quite some Christians who, who think this is the truth. This is, this is everything that can be said about it. Because if we start dealing with that, with that thinking about God's al almighty power, God being almighty, it drives you crazy. Because... You know, in the Middle Ages, there were, there were two monks who kind of figured out this question. And they said, you know, if God is almighty, then the implication would be that he could make a stone, a rock, he cannot lift. Well, that drives you crazy. Can you make a rock you cannot lift? That would be the proof of God's almight, almighty power. Well, well, let's skip this one. Now, now the second one, <laughs> the second one that would say, well, no, God is like the potter in Jeremiah. You know, the, the, that's the biblical image about the clay and the potter. And, and it sounds a bit like the former view, but, but basically it runs down to this. He cannot perfect enough the clay in such a way that all the bad things are kind of driven out. So he, he molds the clay and, 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 and creates it in the best possible options and, and, and makes sure it gets the best options. And, but... But still, it's not convincing. All he, is, all he can do is, is to try 
uh, to convince the world on its journey to the better and best options. It's a, it's if you know a world full of life, with all the risks included, is better than a world without life. So God, according to this view, God God lures us into life, and He takes enormous risks all the time. And at the same time, he is not insensitive to what happens to us. So there is his love, there is his, his, his mercy and his grace, every day new. But he, 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 he needs to, to make it as perfect as he can, but he's not yet there. He created the best possible world. And, uh, you know, I know we, you know, assume we go to a concert, Chris and I, and we take... We, it's a nice concert, and we go to the, uh, some of the Melbourne music halls and have a great evening. And then on the way back, we, we had a glass of wine, so we take a taxi back, right? So imagine that this taxi driver comes up, and we, we get into the car, and immediately I can smell the alcohol around him. And he's drunk. And I say to Crystal, well, you know, we better get out of the, out of the taxi driver and find another one because I'm, I don't want to be in a, in a, in a taxi uh, with a taxi driver that is drunk, really, because, you know, the first curve he takes, I don't know where I end up. So better be careful here. So I ask him, have you been drinking? He said, ah, I'm fine, you know, had a, had a great evening like you had, and it's all good, and just stay in, and I'll take you home. Where do you need to go? Ah, Templestowe. Ah. Well, you know, and... Um, so well, doesn't feel good. So better. I don't. I'm not sure whether I want to stay in this taxi now. Now this is the comparison. God, forgive me the comparison, but God could be like this drunk taxi driver. He says, "Ah, oh, don't worry. I'm with you. I'm all. I'm here all the way. And wherever we end up, you know, don't worry too much. We'll we'll get we'll get you somewhere. Yeah, of course, <laughs> we'll get you somewhere. Well, if you want to score this option." I don't think it will get much better than, than one or two. Now, the third one. Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's an interesting one. And this one scores high in, in, in ranking more than the others. And it would run like this, you know, suffering, people would argue, is just a consequence of, of creation um, turning in, into constant kind of utter chaos because of the abuse of free will. We have our own free will. And, and in fact, there is no innocent suffering, people would argue. You know, how can you talk about innocent suffering? Even, even the MH17, they would argue, the suffering is not a consequence of what people did wrong. Yeah, well, it's the consequence of what people did wrong. They abused their free will to shut down an, air, an aircraft. So this is really, in the ultimate kind of sense... Um, the abuse of freedom uh, against God's will, yeah, you need to bear the consequences of those, of those things and of those abusive thoughts and acts. And, you know, there's nothing that could kind of, there's nothing that could kind of take that away. Of course, the question is, how, how should we, how should we understand uh, tsunamis, the one many years ago, killing thousands of people. Does it make sense to allot the death of thousands of people to a group before them? So if we abuse our, of, our free will and we do things that are not good, will, will it always be the consequence for others to carry? Is that right? 
If, we, if I abuse my freedom, is that always affecting others in the same way? And should that be true? Leave it up to you. But finally, the, um, before I get back to the text here, finally there is a group of people who argue against, again, in a very different direction. They would say, and this, this view has most of, most of the fans, I would say, and most of the followers, um, they would argue that, imagine, imagine this, imagine God's ideal world is not an eternal holiday trip to the Caribbean, but imagine God's ideal world as a, as a very demanding environment in which people uh, can grow, but also should grow and change. So it's, a, it's much more a world of, of soul growing and rising and um, growing into the, into the image of God. So the, the goal is growing and maturing until we are, until we are entirely alive in God. So sin and suffering then would bring us up to the point, that's, that's the consequence of this view, sin and suffering would, would, would bring us up to the point where we accept God's loving call upon our lives. There are quite some difficulties with this as well. Because how would you understand the death of six million Jews in the Second World War? Is that about soul growing? That's, that would be a really very painful argument, wouldn't it be? Now, Jesus, um, Jesus uh, shares parables. And he, he does this as well in, as in, in, in the other Gospels, as in Matthew 13 here. And it's, it's a beautiful collection of, of deliberately, uh, uh, like, 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 a, like, you know, little, uh, little beautiful pearls on a chain, on a necklace, they put them all together, he puts them all together, and, and he, he shares them with a wider public on the streets and on the lake and, and in Israel and, and, and all through the country. And, and then very often he, he, he sits with his disciples and explains them uh, in, in small circles. And here it is, this, this parable we read about the kingdom. There is this person sh- sowing the good seed on his land. But even though he does the good work and he is quite, he's quite on top of it he, it, he notices that it doesn't take long before there is an enemy in the fields as well who sows weed. And the servants come out and, and overnight, and as they've seen it, they, they see the landward and, and they, they, they talk to him and confront him with it. And, and, and they tell him that it's really an untenable situation. How, how, how can this happen? Where does this, where does this all come from? And they tell him that they feel that they need to do something about it. But not so. The landlord, Jesus, he says it should grow together and and then at a certain point it will be separated and dealt with. And Jesus tells his disciples um, this and, and but but I think they do not get the message and after sending them the crowds away they ask him for explanation. And um, there, there they are, this, this young and vulnerable group of people, confused as they are about what is happening, what is happening around them with Jesus himself. And um, yeah, I think, I think personally, I can, I can identify with, with that. And, and very often, understanding, understanding God's word and Jesus' words, it's, it, it needs explanation, it needs further elaboration. You need to work on it, you need to chew on it to kind of pick it up and, and, and get it out. Now, I think there are three, 
three questions that raise out of this text. And I would like to, to ask you to, to share, to, um, to, to stay with me on, that, on those three questions. Now, the first question um, that comes out of this, um, this text, really, and it's a, it's, a, it's a question we relate to very, very strongly, um, is the question whether God, God, did you do this? God, did you do this? So the servants, they, they, what they do, they go immediately to their master, and they want to know, they want to know how this is possible, and they're angry. And, and they, really, they really feel like, like what is at stake here is not just whether he did the good job, but they, if you listen well into the language that's being used here in Matthew 13, it's really about the character and the intent of the sower. It's not just about did you put in the right seeds on the right spot, but it's really about, God, what are your motives? Did you start this? Have you done this? This earthquake, this child dying of leukemia, this sudden death of a, of a, of a soccer player on the field. It's, it's, it's like a, a fist to heaven. God, have you done this? God, where are you? Are you involved in this, in this destruction? Are you involved in this tsunami? Are you involved in... Well, you, you can fill in your own examples there. And you know what? I've, I've come from a, very, from a very brave, but also from a very pious family. So they would not so easily raise their, raise their fists and voices to God. And those of you who have ever been to Israel and have, have been witnessing uh, the synagogue service where, where uh, people address from Scripture uh, the evil that is in the world, you would, you, would, you would really see the Jews pray so hard and so loud that you always feel like, Ooh, can, you, can you approach God like that? Is it, is it allowed to, to speak to God in that, in that manner? Because we think, oh, God is so holy and, and we are so sinful and he's so sovereign. So can we, how, can we, how can we do that? Well, we're not used to doing so. But these servants, they don't have any hesitation at all. But in this, in this relationship of trust and in this relationship of, 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 of faith in God, it is possible, I think, to, to hold the finger as far as we can, just right in God's eye. And, and, and it, it might be at some point even be, be much more of a proof of faith than just, just holding still and, and silent and, and imposing that on each other and say, well, you know, you just need to accept this. This has happened. There's this story about um, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, Elie Wiesel, who, uh, who, has, who had some major... Um, he was a Holocaust survivor, and um, he told a story about this Jewish family that was expelled out of Spain, and, and one by one the family members died once they were out of the country. And in the end, only the, only, only the father uh, survived. And being out of the country, he, he felt, you know, why? Because, you know, I'm, I'm out of the country, but what sense does it make? I've lost everybody. I lost everyone I love and that were dear to me. And in the midst of, those, of that grief, he, of those many losses, he cried out to God. And he, this prayer is a very powerful prayer. He says, Lord of the universe, I know what you want. You want despair to ring in me. You want me to stop believing and praying. 
you would like me to stop praising your name. But I tell you, no, 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 thousand times no, you will not succeed in this in spite of yourself. I will keep singing and I will keep praying. And this song you've put into my heart will not die in me, God of Israel. That is a very powerful prayer. Now, this is about the total relationship with God. So, so he, he who allows or prays allows also this question, God, did you do this? Now, now the answer. Jesus is quite clear. Verse 28 of the chapter we read, God did not do this. God did not do this. It's a very important um, um, text and, and, and proof Jesus gives his disciples that the evil and suffering in this world are not, are not God's plan and doing. He is not the architect of evil. He has not sown the bad seed. God did not want this 25-year-old woman to die. God did not want this toddler to drown. He has not caused it. It's not from him. It's not even from his left hand, as some would argue. God is light, 1 John says, 1 John 1 verse 5. God is light and there is no darkness in him. So Jesus' answer in this parable is, is extremely powerful. And, and I think we, we, we need to deal with that. God does not plant evil in the fields of our lives. He doesn't. He does not create evil in order to for us to, to choose whether we would like to have our souls grown or to be punished for our sin. Evil and sin are God's enemies. And the enemy is the devil, he says. Ah, there he is. His superhuman reality, striving against God and all good. This is the intruder. This is the real wrongdoer. There is this intruder into creation, and, and he is the author of evil, not God. Now, there is this um, the second question, and that's another one, which is um, in, in our, maybe in our arrogance, and also the servants in the parable do that, they, 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 they think, well, wait a minute here. If we see this situation of evil and sin, we might better be very, become very active. We should just run into the fields and cut and take all the evil out. And we should make sure that we do that. Of course, I'm not talking here about doing justice, uh, because we need to. And we need to put things right. But at, but at the same time, what I've learned in the last, let's say, 20 years, what I've learned is that in our own attempts to wipe out all evil, we might wipe out other things as well. We can be so convinced about the one thing we need to do to wipe out all the evil of this world, even in our little communities, in our little church communities, we might be so convinced to do it that, that what happens is that while we are doing it, we, we, de we destruct and we, we demolish a lot of other things. We cannot fix it. We cannot fix it all. It is very arrogant to think so. Remind me of the story of uh, George W. Bush um, after 9-11. You know, these, these aircrafts flying into these twin, the twin towers and 
really bad situation. And, and um, I remember this interview just a few minutes after it happened that he, he said, well, he would exterminate all evil and all wrongdoers. Well, that's quite something to exterminate all wrongdoing, all wrongdoers, all evil. That's quite something to do that and to promise that, really. And whether it was political rhetoric or not, or, or, but, but in the end, what, what does it mean? Where does it begin and where does it stop? To be honest, I'm, I'm very often not even capable of taking the evil out of my own life. Are you with me on this? And it's very, I've learned that it, it, it's very painful. And it's a very disturbing thought that I'm not capable very often to take the evil out of my own life. Even though I try to be like a microsurgeon and, 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 and I'm, I try to be very tough on myself. But how do I take sin of my, out of my own life? I can't. can hardly cope with her own, let alone with the sin and suffering of the world. Am I exaggerating? Of course. We can do something. But we might, we might discover that this impulsive running into the fields of evil is not helpful. It conveys the message that we might be able to do it. But maybe, I need to be careful, Maybe it's not God's way. Again, why does God not use the power he has and wipe out all evil? I remember Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was, was taken by Roman soldiers and, and the chief priests and taken in, in, into custody and uh, shortly before he was crucified. And, and then, you know, one of the disciples intervenes and, and cuts off, cuts off the, the ear of one of the priest's servants and... Um, and Jesus stops him and he says, well, wait a minute here. Don't, don't you think, really, don't you think that I would be able to call upon my father and ask him to send in 12 legions of angels immediately? You know, who wants the power play? Apparently, it's not God's approach. And that, that's a very striking example in this, in this case because if this is not God's approach, I think it's, it's about his character. It's not about what we would like. Of course, God coming down with his fiery swords, cutting out all evil, every evil, without any hesitation. God's power takes the power of the cross. I'm getting to that image soon, but God's power takes the shape of the cross. And let me tell you this, even the miracles Jesus did... Even the miracles Jesus did, did not wipe out evil and suffering permanently. What happened to Lazarus after he was raised from the death? It looks like he died again, right? It's not, it's not recalled in scripture, but we can be quite sure that he died. Even the miracles Jesus did. I think the miracles Jesus did, they were deep signs of a of a much deeper and wider healing. People don't get healed by the miracles of Jesus just for the sake of the miracle. People get healed by the power of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that's much more than just being healed and cured. Jesus' people... Jesus' people get healed by his wounds. I think it's one thing is true for my own life is that 
by his wounds, I am drawn into this, what you could call indestructible love of God. I've experienced that so many times that, 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 that if there is one thing that is indestructible, it's really the love of God. And that really puts me to the final question here. Um, God, will it always be like this? It's not in the text really literally, but Jesus is very clear at the end of the parable in explaining it. It's very evident that it will not be like this forever. There will be a time, Jesus explains, when, when the completion of the world will be a reality and the sower who, who will come to harvest with his angels. And all who took down others will be taken down themselves and final justice arrives. All evil will get wiped out and the evil one will be taken down forever. And that's the point in history when the loving power of God will destroy evil for good. The beast that cast creation into grief and tears will no longer be there. Tears and pain will pass. And God, seemingly weak at the cross, will be the righteous judge, ending all evil in this world. So it's Jesus, the resurrected, but also the rightful judge, the righteous judge, the resurrected one, and the exalted Lord who will send out his angels. Now, just to, end, to round it off with, you, you, you may be unsatisfied at this point. Because, huh, you know, nice story. All good. What does it matter? Question might be, the, the final question might be, what is God doing now? Is he doing things now? If you run through all those questions, God didn't do it. We cannot fix it. He will fix it. And it will not take forever. Well, I true, truly believe we didn't read those other two parables, but there are two others here. Um, one is about the kingdom like a mustard seed. And the other one is about the woman mixing yeast through the dough so it rises. And you can't really read this story we read this morning without the other two. You, you need to combine those two, those three stories in a way. There are three pearls on the chain, on the necklace, that really depict and reveal God's character and God's doing. So you, by, by, by reading them carefully, and you could do that afterwards or even now if you like, but um, you, would, you, would be, you would be sure of one conclusion that God is very active here and now. His work is very often and as almost invisible as a mustard seed. A mustard seed can hardly be seen. It's, it's, it's very tiny. It's very small. Um, but His way in the world, His way in the world is as the yeast in the dough. It is almost like a, 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 a kind of an undercover operation, a stealth operation. God is under the radar but he's nevertheless present and active. A mustard seed, seemingly meaningless, so small and so weak. But, but watch the outcome. Watch, watch what is happening, defying all powers of evil and suffering. I believe, I truly believe, and that's, that's, that's the fun of the story in the end. I didn't reveal that yet, but who was the seed? The sower was sowing. 
Come on. Who was the seed? The good seed. Us. A bit louder. Us, correct. Yeah, it's us. We are the seed. We are the good seed. And we are apparently sown into this, into this field of evil. Sorry for that comparison, but we're sown into this field of evil, this field of suffering, this, this reality that is hard sometimes and tough. And, and we are sown into it. And of course, it's sometimes hard to tell what that means because we're just very often little, vulnerable, small lives. Small seeds, very tiny little seeds. Not always about the big faith and not always about the big testimonies and not always about ah, the grand stories. You are the mustard seed. You are the seed, the yeast in the dough. So never forget that. We're talking about this. We are in the hands, this seed, this seed is in the almighty hands of this God whose, whose only goal, whose only purpose is to, to make a share in this indestructible love of God. And I pray that that's the experience of us all as we continue to, to grow, to mature, and to make sure that we stay on this journey together and comfort each other in times of suffering and evil. Blessings on you. Amen.